Authors on the Air. I'm Terry Shepard. Welcome to Authors on the Air. John A. Hoda is a lifelong investigator who told friends and family stories about his real-life cases for years. Like many of us, John got the writing bug later in life and has become one of the most prolific storytellers active today. He's written 10 books in the last three years. He still keeps his hand in his former life as a coach for fledgling private investigators and an author of a series of nonfiction books that teach would-be investigators about the skill sets they need to be successful. If there's a theme that runs through his fiction, it's all about second chances and redemption. The protagonist in his Average Joe fiction wrestles with the challenges of success and how it impacts his values. His latest, the second in his Marsha O'Shea series, follows a disgraced FBI agent's adventures as a determined heroine in a high-stakes domestic drama. Before we bring him on, here's a taste of book two in John A. Hoda's O'Shea series, Clearwater Blues. For Christ's sake, what is Egypt? I knew that answer, Michelle barked. The bartender and other happy hour patrons, belly up to the hotel bar, gave her more than a few raised eyebrows and scowls. Her vocal participation in Jeopardy was wearing on them. The breaking news story out of Arizona had just interrupted her boozy streak of right answers. The high-def screen showed the all-too-familiar scene of high schoolers fleeing single file from campus in yet another school shooting. The story then cut to the on-screen reporter doing her best to describe the carnage. At the same time, RoboCop SWAT team members milled behind her inside the fluttering yellow crime scene tape with their military rifles and visor helmets clearly on display. This local current events reporter of Cancer 5K runs and bakery openings, along with her cameraman, were nearby when they were suddenly thrust into the national spotlight. She was doing her best to report the facts without the horror or her excitement bleeding through. The shooter was dead, this much she'd been told, Around his body lay his AR-15 and high-capacity magazines. His name and motive were not clear at this time, she said. The number of dead and wounded were unknown, but area hospitals were swamped with ambulances from all over the country, she reported. Hey, barkeep, I'm a little dry here. Michelle held up her mug and waggled it upside down for him to see. She took this break from the game show to get her refill. Are you a guest here, ma'am? He asked quietly upon his arrival to her stool. The empty shot glasses and peanut shells made for proper accounting of her afternoon's decision to get shit-faced. Yes, I am. And don't call me ma'am, Marcia snorted. I had to ask because if you were driving, I would have to cut you off and recommend you get a cab. Marcia was primed and ready to smart-ass him when she looked at the others at the bar they stared at her. I'm the train wreck they're looking at. The talking head caught her attention on the screen, sadly informing the viewers about the uptick in mass shootings in just this year alone. Marcia looked down at the mess in front of her. Where did all these shot glasses come from? 
She closed her eyes, and the room began to spin. Lady, are you all right? the bartender asked. Slowly, tears came to her eyes. Marcia tried tightening them to staunch the flow. He slowly removed the mug from her grip. She wobbled forward, eyes clenched closed, and whispered, No, I am not. John Hoda, welcome to the program. Mm. Yeah, uh, you're going to be my uh, audio narrator for my books <laughs> going forward. I'm sure I'm not the first person to say that. It would be an honor, my friend, to do that. I would, I would be delighted to do that for you. That is the way to introduce a character. Talk about an instant, visceral, full-color portrait of doing mm-hmm. that. When did you decide you wanted to be an author? Oh, that came about in kind of a, an odd way. Um, it was maybe 2011. Yeah, 2011. And I had this story kicking around in my head. I had the beginning and I had the end, but I didn't have the middle. And then one day, my son and I were at a, a ball game in Philadelphia uh, at Citizens Bank Park, and he bought a program. And in the program was an advertisement for fantasy baseball camp where uh, the Phillies of yesteryear Uh, the stars would be there and they would be the coaches for players that would assemble on the Clearwater uh, playing fields of their spring training facility for three days in February. And I realized that that was my middle. So I now had the beginning, the middle and the end. And I started blabbering to my son. I said, well, John Michael, I started telling him the story and he's looking at me like he had never heard it before, but this had been in my head for years. And that's how the connection was made. And he said something very telling and, you know, out of the mouths of babes, right? He said, but dad, you don't know how to write fiction. (laughs) And I said, well, I can learn. And I had some writing chops from writing in trade magazines and uh, industry rags. And I always had great editors that saved my butt, you know, many a time. So I thought that, well, let me do it the right way. And what I did was I bought a book uh, titled How to Write Fiction for Dummies. And it was written by Peter Economy and Randy Ingermanson. And I followed that book chapter and verse and went through all the exercises. And then at the end, I said, yes, let me try this. So Fantasy Baseball, it's about a second chance, was born in, I think, uh, January of thirteen. And I had a wonderful time. We had a great launch. It was beautiful. But then uh, life got in the way and I had to go back to, you know, a little thing like paying the mortgage and the light bills and those little minor things. So I didn't have to sleep in my car. And uh, but then later on, when uh, my finances and my situation balanced out pretty well, I could see that uh, at age 66, I could make this more of a full time thing. So from, uh, I would say, September of 17 to uh, just, just now, I went about um, building my author's platform, writing the books that you described earlier, and uh, have it all in place. Uh, and also, I decided that I wanted to have, uh, as part of my author's platform, a legitimate voice, and that it was my po- a podcast titled My Favorite Detective Stories. And that was, I think, the stir that, uh, or the, the straw that stirs the drink, as they say. 
and uh, the rest of it has just fallen into place. And now uh, I still have my occasional uh, case. I'm still a real life private investigator licensed in the state. And they're more than willing to take my, the fees for my license and my business filing and all that other good stuff. And uh, I still have some cases I'm working on, but my focus is mostly now on the fiction and on coaching private investigators how to survive and thrive in business. So that's where I'm at. How did you become a PI? Well, uh, at first, many, many years ago, I was a police officer. And when I left policing, I became an insurance investigator for a national firm. With my insurance skills and my uh, law enforcement skills, I got into doing insurance fraud investigation. And that basically became my career. I became an expert in insurance fraud investigations over 20 some years. And then when I saw how much I was paying private investigators to do my overflow work, things I couldn't handle, I realized I could make more money doing that than working you know, in the corporate environment. So in September of 1993, I got a license and my first company, Independent Special Investigations was born. And uh, 23 years later, we're still in the black. We're still making money. My son, who was then you know, a lot younger now, is, is, is now doing most of the heavy lifting for the business. We have a part-timer, uh, a young man that uh, we grew up with. He was a Cub Scout with my son, a Boy Scout, and, and had helped my son with surveillances. And now he's doing some of the you know, investigative work as well. So we have a nice little boutique business and uh, very, very happy with how it's running. So. How has your life experience as a private investigator impacted your fiction as a writer? Well, I got to meet so many people. Oh, my God. And you can't make that dialogue up, right? The descriptions, the settings. I mean, all over the country, I had worked cases. Uh, one of my books, Mugshots, My Favorite Detective Stories, talks about my own career. And I have uh, in my uh, office... Uh, like you have a bookshelf behind you. I have a mug. I have a, a, a case of mugs, of coffee mugs, and from all over the country. So I've I had plenty of scenes, plenty of locations to choose from. And I just thought, okay, let me, let me see how this works and let me see how it goes. Now, to be true, out of the average Joe book, Fantasy Baseball, there were two characters, Marsha O'Shea, and a uh, crime beat writer or a sports writer who then became a crime beat writer. And that became the genesis of Odessa on the Delaware, which was the book where I introduced Marsha O'Shea. And that began the beginning of the series. So I just took some really rock solid characters and said to myself, what can I do with these people and get things started? And I did. And uh, I've enjoyed it ever since. Uh, um, working on a prequel now to back when uh, Marsha was a young agent, 27 years old, working on the mean streets of Miami. It's, it's titled Liberty City Nights. It's going to be a prequel. And I'm hoping also this year to uh, develop two more books in the series. So that would be six books in the series with the prequel. And I'm excited about that. Your characters seem to struggle in common with ethical issues and um, you know, have their ups and downs on this roller coaster. And part of the magic of your work, as I read it, is how they redeem themselves. How do you put a plot together? I am plot driven. And I, I think about, 
you know, what they're, uh, what they're initial, what they're initially drawn to the, 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 the case, right? The case. And then as they wind their way through the case, they're faced with obstacles and that they have to overcome. And well, good fiction writing means more obstacles and bigger obstacles until the final reveal at the end. Um, I've always read uh, private investigators and other investigators in, in, in my uh, growing up as an adult and then now as a writer, uh, Michael Connolly's Harry Bosch, uh, Lawrence Block's Matt Scudder, uh, Martin Cruz Smith, uh, Arkady Renko, Tess uh, Monahan from Laura Lippman. So I drew a lot from these characters in the way I was going about uh, developing the characters, particularly Marsha O'Shea. And I felt that uh, I, I could put them in some really compelling stories. And if, if as long as I could keep them uh, changing and growing and overcoming the obstacles and finding out what they have to find out about themselves in order to overcome the situation they're faced with, I felt that would be an interesting read. And a lot of people tell me that um, they want to turn the next page. In fact, that, that's my number one um, thing that I ask beta readers about. I say, did you want to turn the next page? Do you want to turn the next page? And I keep hearing yes, so I keep writing. John Hoda is our guest. He's the author of the Marsha O'Shea series. Uh, his main website is johnhoda.com. He has several others that we'll talk about uh, later on in the program. I'm very interested to hear more about the podcast. As we think about character development, how important are the flaws? Oh, huge. Um, you know, because when I look at uh, the characters that I loved growing up and reading, um, they had issues, whether it be alcoholism, family dysfunctionality, um, situations where uh, they would constantly tilt windmills at you know the, the established uh, bureaucracy, whatever they were. I always felt that um, that it made for a, a more interesting read, a more fuller individual. The James Bond type character you know, jumping out of airplanes and kissing the girl and, and, and defeating the villain. Eh, give me somebody that, you know, has troubles or, or has has questions or somebody that is uh, dealing with their own demons. And let me see how that those flaws, how those flaws and those possible idiosyncrasies could actually help them in the solving of the case they're working on. So for me, um, I think that's a much more fuller read. And I think it's one that I think uh, my readers find more fulfilling. We do talk about the business of books here. So take us through your creative process from ideation to publication. How does it go? <laughs> How long does it take? Who do you use to help you? Give us oh. the whole nine yards. Okay, well, I'm an indie author. So uh, I'll be straight up about that. I made that decision back way back when I read a book by uh, Jack Conrath, J.A. Conrath, uh, The Newbie's Guide to Publishing. And he made the case for indie versus traditional. And it was followed up by my continued uh, journey with uh, Joanna Penn of The Creative Pen. And uh, she's just a wonderful resource. Uh, then... In terms of publishing, I, I tend to follow the doctrines of Mark Dawson with uh, the self-publishing formula. And I've also get a lot of uh, great 
tips from a David Gogren, uh, particularly as it deals with uh, marketing and, and bookbub. So these are things that five or six years ago, you would have said to me, bookbub. Well, I don't even know if bookbub was around five or six years ago, but the way that the indie publishing has grown and it's just so many more things that have made it possible to do this. So let me just tell you real quick. I get my idea and I put it into a storyline. Then I develop it into a three-act structure. Then I try to add uh, uh, plot points and pitch points. Now, I can thank uh, Larry Brooks from Story Engineering for that. Now I have a basic idea of the beginning, the middle, and the end, and some other you know fun stuff in between. I go into a program called Fictionary, which I use to flesh out my outline. Now I'm an outliner. I am not a discovery writer. Um, the thought of writing 100 to 200,000 words and then and calling that a rough draft just boggles my mind. I would rather think about um, what I am going to write and then try to get that edited chapter by chapter as, you know, as I go along so that by the time I bring it to an editor, it looks decent. So I then, I now dictate. I used to sit at a keyboard and now I dictate with a little Sony tape recorder. And I then use Dragon Dictate to put that into a rich text editor. And because it's so used to my voice now, 95% of the stuff comes across crystal clear. Although they don't do curse words very well. I have to be honest with you. Dragon Dictate doesn't do curse words very well. I can fill in the blanks. And then uh, from there, I then do a, uh, a read to make sure that I've, I've done the right dictation. Open quote, I'm glad I do the right dictation. Close quote, he said, period, new line. You get the idea. And, and when you start talking in dictation speak, it doesn't really take away from the creative process. Just yesterday for uh, Liberty City uh, Nights, I dictated, how many? 2,260 words in two and a half hours. And I had them cleaned up in Rich Text Editor in an hour and a half. So four hours, I was able to do something that would probably be a six hour routine for me in the past. Now I'm not a very fast typist. I then used Pro Writing Aid within Fictionary as a poor man's copy editor. And then I will then uh, let my beta readers in on the fun. They give me some great ideas. I make some changes depending upon what the, what the group think is on that. And really good. I have really good beta readers. Part of uh, the written word here in uh, Milford, Connecticut, uh, the uh, writers group I belong to. And then uh, it goes into a Word doc. And then from a Word doc, it goes into Vellum. Are you familiar with Vellum? Vellum then turns it into a wonderfully formatted uh, uh, ebook, EPUB, Mobi, generic pub, and print, which allows me then to do into uh, KDP print, Amazon, and then print with Ingram Spark. Now, this series will eventually go wide. I'm, right now I'm in Amazon Select, but eventually it'll go wide. And that's when I'll use Drafted Digital for my uh, publishing aggregator outside of the uh, Amazon uh, platform. 
and I will go to Kobo direct as well, uh, just to work with them because they're a very, very, they're like the Amazon of Canada. And I feel that that's a better, better use than just doing it through the aggregator. Then there's the matter of Facebook ads and free bar and free booksy and bargain booksy and the other um, types of uh, places where you can uh, put your book and, and people and readers have a chance to read it at either a discount or for some kind of a promo. And so that's the business side of it. So I'm learning how to write better. I'm learning how to publish better, you know, getting better descriptions, better keywords, better covers. And also I, I'm learning how to advertise or market better. Now, one thing I, I forgot to say, I utilize Readsy, R-E-E-D-S-Y, uh, to find my editors, my copy editors, and my proofreaders, and my cover designers. And I find that that curated website uh, is a great place for me to vet professionals to help me write a better book. Any indie that thinks that they can write with a friend helping them with the copy edit or with the proofreading, no. Get yourself a professional cover, get a professional editor, get a, a copy editor, excuse me, and a, a proofreader, and you're going to have a more professional product coming out. And that's the thing that I'm, I'm happy about, that as I learn from them, more and more, I get to be a better writer as well. And, it, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm throwing less slop at them when, when it comes time for the edit, the copy edit or the proofreading. That was terrific. I mean, my show notes are going to be four paragraphs long with all the great tools that you're talking about. Yeah, Many of which I think our, our listeners are aware of. Pro Writing Aid is terrific. Vellum, mm -hmm. if you've got a Mac platform, is essential. Mm -hmm. um, you're talking about um, Kobo and Rigi. I would buy a Mac just to have Vellum, to tell you the truth. It's, it's awesome. I don't know what I did yeah. before that. It's great. Yeah. I mean, the only thing Vellum doesn't do is it doesn't format your cover for, the, for, for KDP. No. You got to do no. that. I have good, uh, I have good, good cover designers that are genre specific, that we know the market, we know where we're looking at. And I, I keep getting told that my covers look really spot on for where I'm advertising. So I feel good about it. John Hoda is our guest. Look him up on amazon.com so you can take a look at the covers. They say that cover blurb and first chapter are crucial to the success of yeah. a book. Has that been your experience? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why when you read my hook, I loved it. And that first page was just like, okay, if, if you don't want to read after that, I, I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm being honest. I mean, if you're a writer, if you're a reader of crime, crime thrillers, domestic thrillers, and you hear that first opening salvo, you got to want to stay with it and you want to keep going. But yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. And you can tell when a cover is amateurish. You can tell when the description is an afterthought. And you can tell when that first chapter is, you know, something that is a mishmash and doesn't really give the reader an investment in the character or in the story. Or so, overworked. A lot of people put everything into that first chapter and the rest of the book is boring. <laughs> yeah. Well, or, or they do an info dump based upon all the research they've done. That was one of my problems. That wasn't a cardinal sin. I, 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 I fixed it, but I was just so happy to get out in the first couple of chapters, all the set pieces and get everything lined up that my, my editors would say, John, you're throwing up on your reader. You have to you know, spread this out over a longer period of time and, and drip it out. 
drip it out, they'd say. One of the nice things about KDP is you can go in and fix stuff. Have you ever gone in after publication and changed the manuscript? Yes. Yes, I have a couple of times. I'm not a real typo Nazi. I mean, if there's a, a, a you know, if there's the, 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 okay, I get it. I'll, I'll get it when I have to, but I'm not going to go in and stop the, stop the press's right to do it. But I, I find myself tweaking more the back matter than the, uh, the actual content of the novel because the back matter is always changing. So, you know, adding more books and then changing the my universal book links. I want to make sure that they're right. I want to make sure that when people get to the end, they have a satisfying read, that they might want to join my email list, that they want to give me a review, that they want to dive into the next book. Now, what's the order of that? I think I'd like them to dive into the next book, obviously. But if so, at some point they want to join my email list, great. If they want to leave a review, even better. So I, I think really right now, diving into the next book or getting reviews are, are the most important thing as, as my business is growing, as my, as my series has just been developed. How many people are on your email list and how did you build it? Well, I started it off kind of with people that were just interested in my podcast. And the more I advertised the podcast, the more they would listen, the more they would get on to my email list. So my, my podcast was the main driver for my email list. But then over three years of having guests on, I got their emails and I added their emails to my email list. And then I began the promotion, Odessa on the Delaware, as a free book in exchange for a double opt-in to get the free book. And they would give me their email and get on my mailing list in exchange for the free book. And then they go into a a sales funnel where they have a chance to do a, a review you know, talk to me a little bit. I want to make sure they got the book. They were happy with it. Then also I, I give them as free Mugshots, my favorite detective stories, which is eight short stories and eight vignettes about my, my own career. And then I tell them about the next coming up book. And then every other week I give them a new writer, Steve Barry, Robert Dagoni, Joseph Wamba, Michael Carita, uh, I'm talking about uh, Mike Omer, Barbara Nicholas, you know, some pretty heavy hitters in the business. And I, and I apologize to those that I haven't named, but, but I have some people that I really, really enjoy reading and I've asked them to come on the show. So as I'm pumping out the podcast with those interviews uh, today, as we record this, Detroit Wheels is free through Amazon Select. So my email list got this. When I started doing this, my email list doubled. So the yeah. giveaway is a key. And also getting great people on your podcast too. I mean, that helps. People would want to say, oh, I want to read them. Or, and so they, they listen and they then at the end, they can join my email list to, to get more and to get the free offers that I offer as well. So yeah, that's been my strategy. And it was a little long in developing, but you don't record a hundred podcasts overnight. You don't uh, become an influencer in the, in the crime fiction sphere overnight. And in that, in, the, in these situations, I just felt that by adding the names to the email list and giving people an opportunity to get something they want, enjoy reading or listening to, it's been almost an organic reach and it's been very, it's working out for me wonderfully. So, yeah. John Hoda is our guest, the uh, Marsha O'Shea series on Amazon 
two books in the series so far. It's a pair of great reads. The My Favorite Detective Stories podcast, how did that come about? I had a desire to use podcasting as a platform. But I went through literally a six-month discernment, as I told you before we got on the air, about what that should look like and what my future career should look like. And I, only, I felt that I only wanted to talk to people that I admired in the investigative world who, ap- who also happened to have written about their careers and then had st- other stories that they have written. So I morphed from in the beginning from investigators who really were well-known for investigations and had books out to then crime fiction writers who wrote about fictional detectives. So it was a small, a slow transition over the course of a year, year and a half. But it also dovetailed with my own uh, author career in terms of the uh, development of the books for the series. And uh, I still am I'm talking to former law enforcement, DEA, FBI, people in the private sector that have done some really great stuff and had great stories to tell about their stuff. And oh, by the way, they wrote a book. So for me, it was great. Oh, Bruce Sackman is another person. He was a, a gentleman that uh, worked for the federal government in uncovered serial murderers working in hospitals, you know, where they would kill patients. Amazing stuff. Just amazing stuff. He and a, a co-author wrote a book, wrote two books about this, this very you know, unique phenomena. Rachel McCarthy, an amateur detective doing a research pretty much figured out who the killer was in uh, murders that beset America. The serial killings took place over 100 years ago, and she was able to figure out who it was. Those are ice-cold cases. And another thing, too, is that I found that the podcast medium is, is wonderful for the true crime world. Oh, my God. What a podcast can do with a cold case, it can bring new light onto it and new leads and new fresh thinking and maybe put a little burr under the saddle of law enforcement to maybe do a better job on that case. So there's an opportunity there as podcast as a medium for change and actually as an investigative medium, believe it or not, it, it's possible that a podcast can, can restart or jumpstart an investigation and that the podcaster could actually be an active participant in the solving of the case. If you could distill your success formula for our listeners into a couple of paragraphs, what would you tell them? Fail is an acronym. It's first attempt in learning. I don't learn from my successes as well as I learn from my failures. Get up, dust yourself off, keep moving in, this, in, in a forward direction. Keep learning. If you don't know something, ask somebody. I find that to be true in investigations as well as in being an author. I'm not afraid to uh, ask for help. And I think that if you want to be good at your craft, whether it's uh, unraveling a whodunit or making up a whodunit, that you have to put a lot of effort and time into it. It doesn't come easily. And as long as you can continue to grow and move forward and add onto your repertoire, you'll eventually get better. I I think of, and I want to say a violinist or a cello player by the name of Pablo Casal, 89 years old, 
at the time he made this quote and person asked him, Pablo, why do you still practice two or three hours a day? And he said, well, I'm beginning to notice that I'm getting slightly better. And, <laughs> and I think that if you're not continuing to grow at your craft, you atrophy. I, I think of those investigators that I talked to when I was a young guy. I said, oh, kid, I've forgotten more than you'd ever know. And I'd say, well, I'm sorry about your dementia, sir. <laughs> but there were also the same people that knew what they knew and didn't feel the need to grow or change or learn or, or move with the times. Whether it's uh, investigating or whether it's writing, I think you have to continue to hone your craft. And I think that's something that uh, is part of my excitement. What gets me out of bed every morning is that the day that I can rest on my laurels, well, will be a day that people are throwing roses into my grave, honestly. John Hoda is our guest. What a fascinating conversation, John. How can people find you on the web in your many incarnations? Best way to reach me is john at johnhoda.com. That's my email. Johnhoda.com is my website that encompasses both the nonfiction and the fiction side of my business. The PICoach.com, that's all one word, the PICoach.com is a website that I dedicate to helping private investigators either learn how to get into the business, the business of private investigations, not so much the craft, but the business, or I help private investigators learn how to survive and then thrive in business once they've already taken out their license. And that's at the PICoach.com. And anybody that needs to talk to me about a real honest-to-God investigation, there's hodainvestigations.com. And I have a contact page for that too as well. How important is social media to you? Are you active there? Yes, I, I post on Facebook, both on my personal page and on the author page. And I post mostly post about the podcasts that are coming out. I also post on LinkedIn on my business related podcast, because I also have another podcast called how to rocket your private investigations business. <laughs> how do you find time to do all this stuff, John? It, it took time. It took, it was, it was one step at a time. You know, I built a website. I took the time. I, 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 I do my favorite detective stories on alternating weeks. So in the in-between week, I do how to rocket your private investigation business. So for me, I'm still doing a podcast every week. I just bifurcated them into two different areas, two different, uh, different segments, two different business verticals completely. And I'm, I'll be honest with you. I love doing both. I, I love doing the, I love talking to private investigators about their business. I love talking to crime fiction writers about their fictional characters and their latest whodunit. So for me, you know, I, I have a great time. You know, I'm on, when I'm on your side of the mic, uh, I'm, I'm a listener like you are, and I'm just enthralled by my speakers, you know, or my guests as well. Whether you're looking for nonfiction to be, learn how to become a private investigator, or you want to hear great stories about complicated characters that you will fall in love with, John Hoda is your man. Look him up on his Amazon author page. Check out the Marsha O'Shea series. I'll make sure we post all of the links that he suggests. It's going to be a long set of show notes because it, this program has been a treasure trove of resources that I think every writer can benefit from. John, thank you so much for joining me on the program today. 
You're quite welcome, Terry. And I want to thank you for coming and reaching out to me. And it was a pleasure being on the show. And I'll highly recommend this to other authors as well. It was a blast. Authors on the Air can be found on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud. We invite you to explore the many other podcasts that focus on the craft aggregated at the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Our theme music was written by Pavlo Butorin. I'm Terry Shepard, and I'll see you in the next chapter.